This bonus episode of Henry Wilson and the Civil War features my full interview with Professor Nicole Etchison on the history of Kansas and the Bleeding Kansas Affair. Professor Etchison is the Alexander M. Bracken Professor of History at Ball State University and has published and contributed to the publishing of many works on the history of the Midwest and the Civil War. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm Nicole Edgeson. I am the Alexander M. Bracken Professor of History at Ball State University. So my first question um, is kind of what is like the brief history of Kansas uh, up to the point of where they're, you know, being considered to become a state, if, if that. Um, Kansas was part of the Louisiana Purchase, and it was in the northern part of the Purchase that under the Missouri Compromise Act of 1820 uh, was not supposed to have slavery. Slavery was, was prohibited from going into the northern part of the Louisiana Purchase. However, people in Iowa and Missouri uh, wanted to move westward into that northern part of the purchase, and Congress had not uh, organized any settlement there. There were Indians uh, living out there, but um, Congress had not organized a, a territorial government. Uh, Stephen Douglas, the Illinois senator who was chairman of the uh, Senate Committee on Territories, wanted to organize that territory as well. And there were a series of, of failed uh, bills that were introduced that got nowhere to organize that territory west of Iowa and, and Missouri. Um, so in the winter of 1853-1854, Douglas introduced what becomes the Kansas-Nebraska Act and in order to get Southerners to support the Kansas-Nebraska Act, uh, Douglas removes the prohibition on slavery and replaces it with popular sovereignty that whoever settles out there will get to vote to decide whether or not to have slavery. It makes Kansas-Nebraska very controversial, but it gets the Southern support and the legislation passes. Uh, then the brief history of what happens next up to statehood is quite a mess. Um, the uh, people moved out there. Um, numerous elections were held. Those elections involved a lot of fraud and frequently violence. Um, and so there was a congressional investigation in the summer of 1856. Uh, there was fighting that broke out between the free state settlers, the people who wanted to make Kansas a free state, and uh, pro-slavery settlers, primarily from Missouri. And uh, eventually, by about 1858, the free staters who had the numerical majority um, began to win at the elections. And they, they won at the elections because they finally got territorial governors who threw out fraudulent returns. They, they'd been boycotting elections because of the fraud. 
Uh, but by 1858, there's kind of a turning point where the free staters who everybody kind of knew had the had the numerical majority finally start winning the elections. Um, but uh, when they apply to come in as a state, Southerners who are angry um, will not vote for Kansas statehood in 1859. Uh, so it's actually Kansas becomes a state in January of 1861 uh, during the secession crisis when the Southerners resigned their seats in Congress, then finally a statehood bill that admits Kansas as a free state is adopted. Yeah, um, so of course, kind of in that period, um, there is this this struggle of of what's was dubbed kind of bleeding Kansas. So yes. if you could go kind of um, a little deeper into like what the actual forces were to play between um, between the two governments, you know, forces in in Kansas. Okay, uh, in some ways, the period of bleeding Kansas can be considered very short. Uh, it's often applied just to that summer fighting in uh, 1856. Um, there's a little outbreak of fighting in 1858 in southeastern Kansas, and then during the Civil War, the Kansas-Missouri border is very, very bloody. Uh, but usually when we say bleeding Kansas, we mean that summer of 1856. And the fighting broke out in Kansas in the spring of 1856 because of the problems created by popular sovereignty and by those early elections. Um, so the crucial election that kind of sets up bleeding Kansas is the spring of 1855. It's the election of a territorial legislature. And uh, actually the pro-slavery settlers might have legitimately won that election because it's early in the migration, people haven't gotten into Kansas, um, but they cheated. The, the Missourians crossed over the river um, in droves. Um, they went, they organized in parties. They went all through the territory. There was a lot of fraud at that 1855 election. And it, it was so much fraud, it got national attention. Uh, and which provoked uh, a con the congressional investigation that occurred in 1856. Um, so 1855, the pro-slavery party uh, overwhelmingly won the uh, control of the territorial legislature. And to give you an idea of the scope of the fraud, the election was in March. A month before that, there had been a territorial census. In February 1855, the territorial census said that there were 2,905 voters in Kansas. Uh, the election totals for the pro-slavery candidates in the March election were five and 6,000 votes. So twice the number of voters that are actually in the territory. Uh, so you can see why this caused people to scratch their heads throughout the nation and say, if you only got less than 3,000 uh, voters, how are your candidates getting five or 6,000 vote totals? Um, well, because of this fraud. Uh, so the Midwesterners and the very small number of New Englanders who were in the territory in spring, summer of 1855 rejected this fraud, said, we can't vote. And, and some of them had actually been kept from the polls by armed Missourians. Um, and so they set up their own 
extra legal government, something called the Topeka Movement, because uh, they met at uh, the settlement of, of Topeka. Um, the federal government did not recognize them. The federal government, in fact, will call the Topeka Movement treasonous. The federal government recognizes this pro-slavery legislature that's sitting at the territorial capital of Lecompton. Um, so right off the bat, you have in 1855, two different governments. One government that the free staters say, we really represent popular sovereignty, but we can't make ourselves heard at the polls. And the other government that is the legal pro-slavery, but fraudulently elected <laughs> territorial government. Um, and through 1855, 1856, there are clashes, uh, particularly surrounding Lawrence, Kansas, which is the principal New England settlement. Or if you are a Missourian, you would say that Lawrence is the principal abolitionist hellhole in Kansas territory. Um, and so there are the, the people of Lawrence do not recognize, and the three staters in general, do not recognize the authority of the territorial government. Um, and that set off clashes over essentially law and order. Territorial, the territorial sheriff would try to enforce his authority in Lawrence, and the people of Lawrence would resist. And that was happening over there were problems over the winter 1855-1856. And in the spring of 1856, uh, the territorial sheriff tried to make arrests in Lawrence. He failed um, when he released the Missourians who were members of his posse. Uh, they looted the town. Uh, they, they destroyed the hotel. Uh, they destroyed the newspaper office because it was an abolitionist, damned abolitionist newspaper. Um, so, and that made a big splash in the Eastern newspapers, uh, although only one person died and he was actually a Missourian. Um, at the same time, uh, John Brown uh, in Southern Kansas, uh, he, was, he was part of a party of free staters on their way to um, Lawrence to save Lawrence from the pro-slavery sheriff. Uh, they find out they're too late. And so Brown goes off with a, a few of his sons and his son-in-law and, and another man or two. They go off into the countryside around Pottawatomie Creek and they assassinate uh, five pro-slavery settlers. Um, and, and then at the same time, uh, although people in Kansas may not have known about it, uh, Preston Brooks beats Charles Senator Charles Sumner uh, on the floor of, of the Senate for the speech that Sumner had given on Kansas. Um, but it's principally in Kansas territory, the attack on Lawrence um, and the Pottawatomie massacre that set off this guerrilla fighting. Uh, so you've got small armed bands, some of them free staters, including one led by John Brown, some of them led by pro-slavery men like Henry Titus, and they're running around the territory and they're shooting at each other. And uh, the territorial governor is utterly incompetent. He does not have the respect of the army. Um, so he sends messages to the army and the army says, we don't 
you know, they, they find excuses, you know, we don't, we don't take orders from you. We need these orders from somebody else. Um, and, and so what happens in the fall of 1856, uh, a new territorial governor is sent in and he is a John Geary. He is six feet four. He's just a huge guy. He's a veteran of the war with Mexico. He's a veteran. Uh, he was gold rush mayor of San Francisco. Uh, he's also very decisive and he tells the army I don't care if they're free state or pro-slavery, um, arrest them if they're out in the countryside shooting at each other. And the army trusts this guy. Uh, he has their back in the way that the previous territorial governor did not. Um, and so the army begins to shut down these guerrilla groups who are willing to shoot at each other, but less willing to shoot at the United States army. Great, yeah. Um, and, you know, going into kind of the next uh, election cycle of 1858, um, you know, for, you know, part of the, the context is, you know, Henry Wilson played a big role in kind of raising funds for that um, back in Massachusetts and in the, and in the North. Um, and it seems that the election of 1858 had, was more robust um, than the previous election. Um, although, could you kind of go into some of the oddities that still remained uh, within, within the result? Okay. So you're talking about the Kansas elections? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, well, there were frauds. Uh, in 1858, the issue was, again, the election of a, of a territorial legislature. Um, and uh, there, there were frauds in these elections. There were two little hamlets um, in eastern Kansas. Uh, that had, you know, maybe a half a dozen houses and managed to return election rolls with thousands of votes for the pro-slavery candidates, which would give the um, pro-slavery party control of the, of the territorial legislature. Um, and one of those election rolls was the, the, um, deputy territorial governor, uh, he rolled it out on the floor and it went for feet <laughs> out on the floor. And it was in alphabetical order. You know, Adams voted before Baker, who voted before Cole. It's like, really? <laughs> People come in to vote in alphabetical order? It turned out uh, that the voter roll had been copied from the Cincinnati directory. Uh, and so, in 1858, the territorial governor uh, was actually the, the assistant territorial governor because the territorial governor was out of the territory, but the assistant territorial governor said, this is clearly a fraud, I throw it out. In 1855, at those elections, the fraud was pretty well known, but the territorial officials said they could not, quote, go behind the returns, unquote. These are the certified returns we were, we were given. So even though there are thousands more votes than there are voters in the territory, these are the returns. We get a pro-slavery legislature. Uh, so the key difference in 1858 was the territorial officials who said, no, this is clearly fraud. We throw it out. The free staters 
win um, the election. And the pro-slavery uh, party had actually hid the original returns in a wood box uh, that was discovered and the papers were taken to the, to the territorial officials um, in Lecompton. Um, and, and in between, it may be important to note, uh, the, the territorial officials uh, as of 1858 had worked really hard because from 1855 through some important votes uh, in 1857 and early 1858, the free staters had refused to participate. They held their own elections. They did their own thing. They did not participate in the general territorial elections because they said, we will, there will just be this fraud and we won't get an honest vote. And by participating, we will be seeming to endorse this process. So in 1858, the territorial officials had worked really hard to reassure the, the free staters, we will give you honest elections. And, and they did. Uh, but that, that was in the face of these continued efforts at fraud. So after that, there was, you know, the Senate uh, and Congress was uh, deciding um, whether to admit the, you know, Topeka or the uh, Lecompton Constitution. Um, and that, you know, created a rift between uh, President Buchanan and Senator Douglas. Um, could you give kind of some um, kind of background or no, I suppose it wouldn't be background, but um, explanation to, to that rift in the party? Okay, well, I'll briefly say in 1856, the Topeka movement submitted a constitution to Congress, the Topeka constitution for Kansas to be a free state and uh, Senator Douglas and the majority of uh, members of Congress just said, this Topeka government has no legal standing. We can't give any credence to this free state constitution. The Topeka constitution was introduced by some Republicans, but it, it was just considered not a legitimate product because the Topeka movement, the free state movement was not recognized as a government in Kansas. Uh, and in fact, some leading members of the Topeka movement were arrested in 1856 and uh, held on charges of treason uh, for usurping um, government office in Kansas. Okay, uh, 1857, Congress authorized the election of a constitutional convention. And this was one of the elections that the Free Staters boycotted. They said they thought the election process was rigged against them. They refused to participate in it. And so it was a overwhelmingly pro-slavery um, constitutional convention. And this put the Buchanan administration in kind of an embarrassing uh, situation because Buchanan was wedded to popular sovereignty and yet everybody who knew anything about Kansas territory realized that the delegates at Lecompton in 1857 didn't represent the actual settlers because the free staters had not not participated. Um, and Buchanan actually uh, sent an administration official out to the Lecompton Constitution um, to persuade the delegates 
to submit the Constitution for ratification because they were, they were going to write a pro-slavery Constitution. Um, but if there were a ratification election, then that would be another chance for the free staters to, to have their say. Um, so what the Lecompton Constitution delegates came up with, um, they came up with a ratification election where the voters could choose Lecompton with slavery or the Lecompton Constitution without slavery. They could not reject the Constitution. There was no up or down vote. We don't want this at all. You just got the choice between Lecompton with slavery, which meant Kansas would be a slave state, or Lecompton without slavery, which meant no future importations of enslaved people. And the free staters said, this is no choice at all. This isn't popular sovereignty. Uh, and they refused to participate in the ratification vote. So Lecompton with slavery went to Congress um, in fall 1857. Uh, is Kansas is asking to come in as a, a slave state. And here was where the break between President Buchanan and Senator Douglas took, took place. Uh, James Buchanan, who was really desperately afraid that Southerners would secede from the union um, because that's what they were telling him. We don't, we don't get, you know, Kansas wants to come in in a slave state. We don't get Kansas as a slave state. We're out of here. Um, so Buchanan chose the phrase that the Lecompton constitution was the, the lawful result of a lawful process. Douglas, who's up for reelection in Illinois in a year, and is hearing from a lot of Northerners that this is just outrageous, um, says this does not represent populism. And Douglas chooses not to separate, uh, to support uh, the Lecompton, the admission of Kansas under the Lecompton Constitution. And uh, they, they have a meeting. Senator Douglas goes to see President Buchanan, because Buchanan was lobbying Democrats really hard. Uh, and there are stories that uh, administration officials are offering congressmen bribes to vote for the Lecompton Constitution. Um, one congressman says that he's invited in by the president and reminded that his father has a patronage job that might be lost if the son doesn't vote the right way. I mean, they're Buchanan was really twisting arms and the administration was uh, engaging in some unethical practices, shall we say, and, and outright bribery. Uh, but Douglas meets with President Buchanan and the, the famous story goes that Buchanan uh, tells Douglas to beware the fate of Talmadge and Reeves who were two Democratic Party functionaries uh, back in the 1820s, 1830s, who got on the wrong side of Andrew Jackson and Andrew Jackson destroyed them. And supposedly Douglas's reply is, I would ask you to remember, Mr. President, that you are not Andrew Jackson. Um, now, recent scholarship is a great story. Recent scholarship has said that exchange probably did not take place. 
Uh, but it is certainly the case that Buchanan tried to pressure Douglas into supporting Lecompton and Douglas was, whether, whether he made the cutting remark that you're, you're no Andrew Jackson, I'm not afraid of you, um, he, he, he did not change his, his position. Uh, and, and the result would be um, two results, I guess, for Douglas. Uh, when he's up for re-election in 1858, running against Abraham Lincoln, uh, the Buchanan Dem- Democrats campaigned against him. Uh, they really tried to defeat Douglas, to punish him. Um, and then the other result for Douglas is at that point, he cannot get Southern support. When he will not support Lecompton, he loses the South, uh, which will have repercussions in 1860 when uh, the Democrat, the Northern Democrats want to nominate Douglas for president, Southern Democrats walk out. And that's why you get the break in, in the Democratic uh, Party. Um, the result of the Lecompton saga is that uh, President Buchanan cannot get it through Congress. If it had gone up for a vote, Northern Democrats were not going to vote for this. You had a Douglas was not the only one who was saying, no, this is this is a bridge too far. We're not dying on the little Compton Hill. Um, our voter, our voters at home won't take this. Um, and so the president who staked everything on getting Kansas in as a slave state, um, Northern Democrats, Congressman William English of Indiana has to come up with a face-saving way to get Buchanan out of this situation where, where Lecompton's going to be voted down and it's going to show the president has no, no influence. Um, so what they come up with is something called the English Compromise in 1858. And uh, English and his supporters purport to find an irregularity in the land grant that Kansas is asking for under the Lecompton Constitution. So Congress votes to send Lecompton back to Kansas territory for the voters to vote on it because of the land grant. And that's nothing to do with slavery. So as I said, everybody knows the real issue is slavery. But they can't admit that because that makes the president look bad. So 1858, Lecompton goes back to Kansas. There's another ratification vote. The territorial officials have established their credibility with the free staters that there will be an honest vote. So the free staters turn out. And I I think the expression one person uses um, is that they slaughter Lecompton. It's like an 11,000 vote against Lecompton to 2,000 in support. Yeah, so um, following this is, of course, the Civil War. Um, you know, what, what are kind of the lasting effects of this entire drama on, you know, pushing America right to the brink of, you know, electing Lincoln and then, of course, secession? Um. Kansas does a lot to bring on the Civil War. Uh, First of all, it's this continual issue throughout the 1850s, from 1854 up until at least uh, 1858, 1859. And it is particularly, 
Kansas radicalizes both the North and the South, and it radicalizes the South in the sense that white Southerners say, we're winning the elections. We want control of the territorial legislature. And yet people are arguing that we don't have the right to pass these measures. Um, and with Lecompton, that it was, as Buchanan said, it was a legal result of a legal process. If the free staters chose not to vote, well, well, that's their problem. Um, and so the continual roadblocks that Southerners feel are being put up when they are winning the elections, having those results certified, But still, Northerners say, no, you can't have slavery in Kansas. Um, and uh, in particular, it creates the figure of John Brown. Um, you know, John Brown emerges. I, as a historian of Kansas, I don't think that Brown is always the most important figure. Our fixation on Brown uh, causes us to lose sight of people like Charles Robinson, the free state governor who was from Massachusetts, from Fitchburg, Massachusetts, uh, his wife, Sarah, who was the leading propagandist for the free state cause, Jim Lane from Indiana, um, who was the leader of the Midwesterners who joined the free state movement. These are the people who are, are actually um, carrying out the free state movement. Uh, Brown is always sort of on the fringes of that movement, but it is the case that Brown's a catalyst. The violence that Brown commits in uh, spring of 1856 helps bring about bleeding Kansas. Um, and then Harper's Ferry in October of 1859, when Brown turns up this abolitionist who calls himself Captain Brown from Kansas and his recruits, uh, by 1859, Brown has got, um, he's got, still got sons, uh, but he's also gathered these men who fought under him in Kansas. He's gathered men, young men who know about him um, from his exploits in Kansas, and uh, they're willing to go to Harper's Ferry and try and start a slave insurrection. And no matter what Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans say in 1859 and 1860, that they are not John Brown, that John Brown is not a Republican, that Republicans do not advocate violence, um, white Southerners do not agree. Uh, John Brown tried to start a slave insurrection. Slave insurrections get enslavers murdered. They always refer to Nat Turner's rebellion. Um, and they fail to see the difference between what the Republicans and Lincoln say are, are their nuanced position about we only oppose slavery's expansion to the territories um, with John Brown, who is a radical, violent abolitionist. So I think Kansas radicalizes white Southerners. Uh, it also radicalizes Northerners because Northerners were particularly Midwesterners, willing to accept popular sovereignty. It's like, fine, we'll go to the territories, we'll vote. Douglas says this is the American way, uh, but then they can't vote. And there, there is the fraud. Uh, and the 
violence of the pro-slavery party, keeping them uh, from the polls. And they, as, as, I, as I said, Sarah Robinson is a free state propagandist. She's not the only one. Uh, the settlers in Kansas, the Northern settlers, they're writing back to their former legislators. They're writing to their neighbors. They're writing to newspapers in the Midwest and the East. Uh, and they are talking about the oppression, the tyranny that they are suffering under the sl capital slave power. Um, and it radicalizes uh, Northerners also towards a more abolitionist stance. Charles Ro the Robinsons, the New England settlers were likely to be abolitionist. Uh, the Midwesterners were generally not. And Jim Lane was a former congressman from Indiana, becomes a prominent member in the free state movement. He's openly racist early on. Uh, later on, he'll become a radical Republican during the, the Civil War and Reconstruction. Um, but it's in fact when, in the 1860s, when Lane is in the United States Senate, uh, that he says, it was in Kansas that we, you know, the white settlers, realized that the slave power was a threat to our liberty, not just to enslaving African-Americans. And this is a point Charles Robinson made in a July 4th address in 1855 uh, in Lawrence, where he said, we not only have to see slaves in Missouri, but we are being made slaves ourselves. Uh, so white Northerners become radicalized. They see the slave power is trampling on our political rights in order to put slavery into Kansas. Uh, it's not just African-Americans who are the victim of the slave power. And so a lot of these free staters uh, become more and more abolitionist. Perfect. Um, so that was kind of my final question on Kansas, but I have one more uh, final question that I've asked everyone I've spoke to so far. Um, and it is, to what degree have you heard of Henry Wilson, um, you know, before I reached out to you? Well, I knew that he was a Massachusetts congressman. Um, I'm working on a book now on suffrage in the post-Civil War era, and uh, I know his name is turning up in my notes. Um, but I don't. I couldn't tell you too much concrete about him without going back and rereading my notes. Okay, great. That's that's more than um, some others have known. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I really enjoyed um, speaking with you, and, and I think this will add a lot to the podcast. Again, I, I hope it's helpful. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs>